the last one obviously is not so of a configuration issue, but it's more like a team uh, issue. So if you have just one person who's maintaining, who's responsible for all your CI CD pipelines, and that person leaves the team, leaves the company, uh, you lose that knowledge. So you really need to make sure that there is some kind of base level experience and knowledge with your uh, off your kind of CI/CD processes. Welcome to the DevSec for Scale podcast, the show that makes security a first-class citizen for growing companies. My name is Jeremy Hest, head of developer relations at Aquilus, the secrets management SaaS platform. This interview podcast brings security experts and practitioners together to offer practical and actionable ways for small and growing companies to implement security best practices using shift left principles without interrupting developer life cycles. Welcome back everyone to the DevSec for Scale podcast. With me today is a great guest, Zan Markan. Uh, Zan is the senior developer advocate or one of the senior developer advocates, I would probably say, at CircleCI because CircleCI probably has quite a few dev, uh, dev advocates. Uh, and it's great to have another dev advocate on the show. Zan, thanks for being here. Hi, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, Circle, of course, is a pretty well-known company, so uh, we don't really need much introduction, I think, about the company, but we're still going to ask about that a little bit. So before we get into a little bit more about you, what you do on a regular basis, uh, let's get right into it. What would you say is sort of like the the way a CICD pipeline would look and run at an early stage company? Okay. Yeah. Awesome question. So uh, let's say you're, we're talking about some kind of microservice that we're trying to build and deploy in our team. Um, so yeah, the first steps would be to validate our code is correct. So um, you push, you push some code to, let's say a repository on GitHub, for example, and that obviously kicks off a pipeline. Um, so yeah, we're running first a number of various tests. So like all the unit tests, maybe slightly bigger unit tests, like maybe integrate with uh, some kind of other external dependencies. Um, at the same time, obviously there's like various types of tests running at the same time. And also, um, we're, we're checking for code quality. We can do linting. We can do some kind of static code analysis. And at the same time, we could also do some kind of vulnerability and uh, uh, dependency vulnerability scanning, uh, static code vulnerability scanning, et cetera, all at the same time in these kind of like parallel uh, jobs within that pipeline. Once this has kind of satisfied our, um, satisfied us that our code is actually secure and does what we want it to do. It hasn't caused any regressions. We then go into building that actual image. For example, let's say we're building a Docker image uh, that we're going to be deploying <clears throat> and then uh, taking that image and putting it somewhere uh, where it can actually be deployed in, in some infrastructure. We might have to do some kind of provisioning as well. So kind of provision, let's say, uh, first stage would be our development environment, provision, deploy that image. Um, we might have some kind of uh, manual validation step where you kind of manually say, hey, I'm going to promote this onwards now into, let's say, staging and then production environment, ultimately where it gets to our, well, our users can get to it, uh, to say the least. Um, and yeah, this is like one example pipeline. Uh, if this sounds highly automated, 
it because it is. And uh, I actually find that uh, despite companies being early stage and smaller, it actually means that they need to automate a lot more because they need to be competing with a lot larger organization with a lot more resources. Uh, so through automation, they can move faster, they can deploy faster, they can get uh, new features out, new products out faster with fewer people. And uh, yeah, that's a that's a early stage pipeline for you. <laughs> Great, yeah. It almost seems like sometimes it has to be uh, some a little bit more complex in certain ways when you're talking about a company that is you know starting from nothing versus the big guys who are you know already out there and have you know all their stuff established for a long time and really ironed out you know many of the issues. So you have to probably build your pipeline sort of ready for growth also right as you're as you're growing it's going to change it's going to evolve but if you make sure you have those basic uh issues in terms of the the right tools and the right security for them uh then you really probably set yourself up for success yeah absolutely and yeah that's the thing like early stage companies they don't start with like kind of monolithic approach they start cloud native they they go on and provision their cloud infrastructure they usually start with kind of microservice-ish architecture. So uh, a lot of that requires a lot more orchestration, a lot more automation, you know, if you want to kind of handle it well. So that's 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 the whole uh, approach that they usually take. They just kind of skip all the decades of legacy engineering, right. if you will. And they get, they get to move faster, but that also probably comes with some security risks that have to be dealt with uh, on top of that because they haven't necessarily filled out all the security requirements early on, whereas the uh, more established companies have kind of already dealt with. And we'll get into some of that as well, I'm sure. So now that we covered that question, Zan, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you're doing on a, on a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm a developer advocate at CircleCI. I'm based in London, UK, and my remit is essentially more geographical. So EMEA regions, so Europe, Middle East, Africa, um, because of the time zones. It's easy to fly between like cities in Europe or like uh, Tel Aviv or, or wherever than it is to fly across the pond to the US and do stuff like that. And also when we're doing remote things, it's also easier to kind of, because of all the time zone differences. Um, my job is essentially to grow and uh, engage with our kind of local uh, regional developer communities. So uh, I'm based in London. So all those kind of tech clusters that we have going on. So London, Berlin, Paris, um, I try to kind of, engage with people through events, through through organizing, through sponsoring, through partnering with companies in those uh, regions. And uh, yeah, doing all sorts of stuff that I hope work for our audiences. Um, and also- Can I ask yeah, a little bit about, can I ask a little bit about where your, um, where your work touches on security, on the security side of things? Uh, so everywhere, usually, because uh, we're automating, uh, we're talking about automated pipelines, right, of CI, CD pipelines. Um, security is increasingly one of the kind of fundamental parts of those kind of pipelines, because we want to automate that step as well, as opposed to having a dedicated team doing it 
for us at some point after uh, the code has been developed and tested manually. So, so usually there is some kind of security scanning involved in in everything that we're talking about, everything that we do. Um, and yeah, like uh, as I mentioned earlier, like you've got you've got the testing, you've got deployment, and yeah, all the all the other stuff that's in the middle. And a lot of the times we want to make sure that yeah, we're automating that stuff as well. So security, great, is yeah, a big one, absolutely. So got furthering that question of uh, where you touch security. Well, let's get into a little bit more uh, larger scope. Where do you see, like, what are some of the categories of uh, pipeline security practices that developers should definitely be focused on? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So the first one is usually, and the easiest one to kind of cover is um making sure that uh, your secrets are not stored in a Git repo. I think you might know a couple of things uh, about that, uh, Jeremy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that, that's like the, 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 the smallest base level thing you, could, you should be uh, thinking of with regards to security. Once we've kind of got all our secrets stored somewhere else and then kind of injected as part of our kind of automated pipeline, um, then we can also talk about dependency vulnerability scanning because uh, a lot of the code that we write, uh, a lot of the software that we build depends on a lot more of like open source, publicly available uh, software packages, which in turn depend on more and more and more kind of open source software packages. So uh, there are tools out there, for example, Sneak or Sonar Cube that allow us to automatically scan our kind of dependency um, dependency definitions. So, for example, if you've got like a Node.js application, you have your package.json where you declare your dependencies. Uh, if you've got, uh, if you're using like a Java project, you might have a Gradle or a Maven uh, file that you where you declare all of these. And these automated tools basically go through all your kind of dependency hierarchy and uh, check against their kind of big databases of known vulnerabilities. So let's say I'm depending on, uh, I'm directly depending on one particular version of, let's say a, a networking library. And that networking library might use some kind of um, like a JSON parser somewhere down the line. And that JSON parser might have been compromised in version 2.3.4 or whatever. And then they fixed it in 2.3.5. But that kind of goes back into our kind of first uh, first kind of main library, which needed to be updated with that underlying uh, uh, version. And that's something that those kind of tools can flag. And uh, they would error. They would basically fail your pipeline and say, yes, this is a known vulnerability. You should be fixing it. Uh, here's the version that's uh, that's problematic. Uh, try upgrading uh, to a newer version or maybe downgrading to an older version. Sometimes that is the only way to go. Um, <clears throat> and really it helps us avoid uh, like really some, some really uh, dangerous situations where there has been like front-end libraries where they basically um, skimmed a lot of user data from from their websites just because 
that happen to be used somewhere where people would enter the credit card numbers. And uh, it, it, it's just like a small thing that's very easily preventable. Um, and that, that's, that's one more thing, obviously. Um, <clears throat> security detection is another one. Uh, we, we touched on this already. There might be also some kind of static uh, code analysis scanning. So tools that detect uh, whether you're, you have some kind of like SQL injection vulnerabilities or some, something like that uh, by just like looking at the source code and statically anal analyzing it. There might be tools that analyze your um, infrastructure provisioning as well. Again, through static analysis, see, okay, I'm provisioning uh, all of these kind of endpoints, uh, but I have my, uh, I I'm a bit too lax with how, how I actually allow this to be um, accessed. Like uh, maybe my permissions are, are not in the right place. So they would flag up this um, all the way to essentially dynamic application security scanning, which runs your application and tries to do things a real malicious attacker would do from the outside in uh, and seeing if they can figure out uh, how to ex make any uh, known exploits, basically. And all of these things are like automatable. All of these things are uh, can be included in your pipeline. Great. Yeah, fantastic. It's a, it's a, a breadth of tools and knowledge that you have to have in order to, uh, to cover all these different uh, pieces. Uh, and that's probably why it's better to have a team <laughs> of people uh, so that you have sort of that knowledge uh, from many different individuals uh, looking at the same problem from different angles. Um, so uh, continue on, we were talking, uh, part of what you were uh, discussing was certain uh, configuration files and things like that. So what, what do you see are some uh, of the more common configuration specific issues that come up in uh, DevOps pipelines? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first one that I think is the most common, uh, it's quite general. It's not necessarily security related, but it could also be security related, essentially not pinning uh, all of the versions of various dependencies. Um, basically what this means is that we have some kind of uh, like flexibility in which version of some kind of dependency is used. And this could be this could be everything from the version of the um, let's say we're executing our jobs in a, in a Docker container. If we if we don't specify exactly which version of that Docker image to use, then the pipeline run today might run differently from a pipeline from two months ago, even even though it has the same configuration, just because that version has been updated. And that version could have slight change. I mean, there's bugs all, all the time kind of that, that are kind of introduced in software. So uh, which gives you some kind of non-deterministic behavior. Um, and they would break your pipelines, even though you didn't expect them. They could be they could be the same with with actual kind of package dependencies that you have in, in your in your software. Uh, just because like maybe my um my uh, networking library has been updated since and I haven't pinned the version. Again, a 
silly thing you might forget about it like during development we quite often uh, keep them like as flexible just so that we know when to update we we know that when develop when we're developing they're kind of at the latest so that but once we have to kind of get them into the actual pipelines we need to kind of make sure that they're uh, pinned um and yeah the, the other one is like uh just set, letting secrets slip into the repository and they don't necessarily need to be uh api keys they don't necessarily need to be like um kind of credentials to your aws account for example it could be like a webhook url that you're kind of leaking somewhere and that's all something that's quite obviously dangerous someone can look at that code and uh, especially once once it's on on github it's compromised uh it can be kind of a laptop could be taken by someone and just kind of they can access anything in there so um yeah these are like couple of things that are most common issues uh and the the last one obviously is not so of a configuration issue but it's more like a team uh issue so if you have just one person who's maintaining who's responsible for all your ci cd pipelines and that person leaves the team leaves the company uh you lose that knowledge so you really need to make sure that there is some kind of base level experience and knowledge with your uh, of your kind of ci cd processes ideally everyone is able to contribute as uh, equally to to the pipeline um let's be let's be uh realistic here some kind of base level knowledge is good uh, but there's going to be some people who are more into it than others yeah this is <clears throat> this is why documentation is so important i mean not just for users but internally for your teams as well Definitely. so yeah um so moving on um talk a little bit about the code and dependency scanning and things like that is how should we go about doing those kinds of things specific tools or specific philosophies on how to do those yeah okay so uh we want to decide what's acceptable for us what's an acceptable level of security for us um whether that's with our dependencies because like all of the tools that we might be using for like let's say, dependency scanning they have um these huge databases of vulnerabilities and they're not all vulnerabilities are treated like are created equal right some are uh like low risk some are medium risk some are high or some are some are even critical so we need to decide okay let's let's say we we can take the low risk vulnerabilities. we're okay with them whatever we're deploying is um it is not that high kind of critical scenario so but we want to catch anything medium from medium onwards basically so that's the first thing just define what's acceptable for us and uh then pick a few tools uh evaluate a few tools sometimes uh, there is another team that's already using uh, a certain tool so there's already knowledge there's already an account with them so it might be sensible to just use the same thing that they're using and uh implement it and see it, and see if it works for you essentially um and, and that's like it, it it's with 
everything that we might be doing. So from like dependency scanning uh, to static code scanning to container image scanning. I forgot to mention this one earlier. So you're we're building containers, uh, container images all the time, and they obviously come with their own sets of vulnerabilities. So it's also possible to scan those containers themselves as well uh, to see. Yes, I my Linux version that's in there has some kind of vulnerability somewhere in the tool chain and uh, it's it's scary how many <laughs> issues they usually raise when you're kind of running them so you really need to be uh upfront with yes this are these are the kind of um criteria that we're kind of fine with and these are the ones that we're not fine with and uh yeah it hit me. It hit me at the beginning when you were talking about sort of the acceptable amount of risk we might be able to to, to take. You know, let's maybe deal with medium to high to you know critical uh, vulnerabilities. But at the same time, you always think, well, what does that mean? Acceptable risk? Like, where do we where do we make these decisions on? You know, it should be zero risk, right? We we should always strive and and try to get to full. There's never zero risk. <laughs> But there's never zero risk. So then, then the next question is, well, what do you what do you take as acceptable risk? Like, where do you draw that line? I, I think that every uh, CISO would probably answer that question just a little bit differently based on their organization and and the nature of the data that they're uh, they're dealing with. But uh, it's it's always an interesting thing to hear when whenever you're talking to any security. Um, uh, minded individuals about, you know, oh, well, you know, we have to deal with these risks, but, you know, there are certain things where we can kind of overlook them for now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And obviously, like every application is different. Every company is different. Like some companies still like work in regulated industries. They they need to have everything created, everything run on-prem with like very high strict standards. But some of them are essentially using a pipeline to build their personal blog. And uh, I, I'm not too fast if I have like a couple of critical vulnerabilities in my kind of Jenkins, <laughs> uh, no, Jenkins, sorry, um, Jekyll, uh, Jekyll, um, sure, um, tool basically. So, Absolutely, yeah, um, it's, it's different different levels for sure. Exactly, yeah. And so. as I was speaking with uh, <laughs> speaking with uh, uh, one of our cyber experts uh, and uh, Chase, Doctor Chase Cunningham, and he said you know, the compliance and all that for companies, that's just a, you know, a piece of paper. It's just some, you know, things you have to check off a list, but no, uh, no attacker ever said, Oh, this company is SOC 2 compliant or this company is ISO. What I'm not going to attack them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it's just like, it's, it reduces the amount of like risk or like you frame the amount of risk you're happy with or like you find acceptable and uh, and uh, go with that because obviously your your customers are also will also have the same questions to ask of themselves and uh, that's where these kind of checklists come come handy i suppose sure absolutely okay so uh moving on uh to a little bit more about um security policies um what sort of security policy enforcement uh, should we be focusing on and have in our pipelines? Absolutely. So, um, so in CircleCI, we have this thing called uh, manual approval uh, jobs. So that's like a very easy thing to implement, which is kind of like 
take your highly automated pipeline and still have some kind of manual approval. And uh, this can be like a nice pause between your team uh, building everything, deploying to like a development or staging environment, and also deploying to prod. So you just go through a couple of checklists and then someone needs to go in and uh, say, yes, I'm happy with this going to prod. That's like an easy one, low, 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 low hanging fruit, essentially. Um, you can also go a little bit uh, further with that and just kind of add some kind of role-based access control, say, only the people in my um, only my lead engineers could kind of promote something to actual production, or maybe there might be an actual security team that needs to review this, and someone from that security team can actually go in and say, "Yes, I'm happy with this. I'm, I'm happy with all the reports from all the tools that have done our scans. Let's take this to prod." Um, you can also um, go on the production side and uh, lock uh, access from uh, from anywhere apart from your CI/CD pipeline. For example, we have these things called IP ranges because we have we know what kind of infrastructure uh, we're dealing with. We know we can guarantee you the ranges of IP addresses that we we will be executing our jobs from. So you can actually say uh, in AWS, if your deployment is not coming from one of those, just decline it essentially, just error as an unauthorized. Um, so that's another one that's, uh, that's like very possible. And lastly, depending on, again, what kind of security requirements you have, you could even run jobs in a hybrid manner. So let's say you, you wanna run your build and deploy uh, for production on in inside of your infrastructure, well, it's still kind of orchestrated centrally. So, so uh, that's also possible. So it's just like depending on again what you need, what your organization is kind of happy with, um, you can take different steps to to uh, ensure that these uh, requirements are met. Perfect. So. Getting to the final question of the episode, a question that I'd like to ask all my guests. Uh, can you give us a couple of tips, maybe even one or two, up to you, um, that you would have for developers and smaller organizations that you know obviously are focused on getting their code and features done and shipped, um, but they need to focus still on security, right? And in order to make sure they're still focusing on security, you know, we don't want to take too much of their time from their coding. So what are some examples of, of you know, ways that you think, um, you know, these kinds of developers should be thinking uh, about and dealing with security without having to take too much time out of that, you know, that daily routine of, of code and shipping? Yeah, I mean, just like integrate this as part of your automated pipeline, like have a sneak dependency scan, for example, uh, as part of your pipeline. And uh, that can then give you this kind of assurance that your code is somewhat secure, at least uh, very early on, so that, yeah, you're not, you're not bogged down with, uh, with uh, like actual production issues down the line. So that's, that's like the biggest, the biggest thing It's just like, implement these things uh there's like 
dependency scanning, container scanning, they're very, very easy to do, very, very easy to, to add. And uh, they have like, they, they give you this kind of outsized benefit essentially. Cool. So that really wraps up the show. Uh, Zan, thank you so much for your time. Um, and I gained a lot of knowledge on this one for sure. Um, it, you know, really getting uh, that view from someone who works at a company that does CICD. So really fantastic. Um, and uh, I'm really gra- glad that we met, uh, which we actually met through Slack, which was pretty cool. Um, so it's always great to meet new people. And uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for being on the show. And I look forward to uh, being in touch uh, going forward and seeing uh, where else we can meet up. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Have a nice day. Yeah, you too. And let everybody know before we go, actually, where they can reach you. Oh, yeah, of course. So I'm quite active on Twitter. So Zed Markin, so at Zed Markin. Well, you can probably add them as uh, the description. In the show notes, sure. (laughs) Yeah, and obviously, like, CircleCI, check us out. Awesome. Good stuff. Thanks so much, Zan. Have a really good one. Cheers. Bye. See see you next time. (laughs) Bye-bye.